Guess who, who's back? Tell me back episode two. I've been rambling through my brain trying to figure out what to talk about. Then I thought to myself, I gotta be me and gotta be myself. So I'm back episode two. Quick rundown before we get started. I wanna give a shout out to the T-shirt lab. It's a Memphis-based screen printing and embroidery. It's owned by Kelvin Woods, and you can find him and his staff at 986 East Brooks Road. Follow them on Instagram at T-shirt lab. Kelvin does a really great job. Whether you need t-shirts for your business and staff, church functions, family reunions, school functions, business functions, anything requiring embroidery, t-shirts, he can get the job done. I really like giving local-based businesses an opportunity for a free promotion for their business. All you have to do is like and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Okay, quick rundown of today's podcast. We're going to talk about Crime and Punishment, the documentary on Hulu. And we're also going to talk a little sports about the new look Lakers. With that being said, I want to introduce today's guest uh, from Chicago, um, a good friend of mine. Went to UTC, uh, Ed Marr, one of the smartest people I know, man. So it's good to have you. How you doing today, man? I'm pretty good. I don't know if I'm one of the smartest people, but I appreciate the sentiment. (laughs) <laughs> nah, man, you're pretty smart, dude. How's the weather out there? You know, it's not as cold as it normally is this time of year in Chicago. It feels almost like a Tennessee winter, but I'm appreciative. Oh, that's cool. That's cool, man. I just left homecoming, so I had a good time, man. I was able to see a lot of people I haven't seen in a, a minute, so it was it was good. We had a good time. I took Langston, too, man. He had a great time, too. He got to, you know, thrive in the campus life and uh, see how we uh, hang out, man, how, how co- college life is supposed to be. I think that's important for him to get a glimpse of what college is like, man, at a young age. Hey, you might end up like his dad and be a UTC uh, Marcuson. Oh, man. Oh, man, that's funny. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we're going to start with this documentary here, man. It really feeds into what I wanted to talk about on this episode, which is uh, quotas. A lot of citizens think that officers in the city of Memphis have to reach a certain quota that documentary really touched on that. It talks about how you got 12 uh, minority officers who um, sued the New York Police Department because they were being pressured by their superiors and supervisors to, to bring in and match certain quotas and stuff like that. That was really interesting, man. That uh, first thing that stuck out to me was um, how um, out in the open the department was about you know what kind of stats and stuff that they wanted. It was troubling, especially when you really consider the fact that, you know, for a while now, I think quarters in New York have been illegal. They're not allowed to do it, but, you know, I guess um, being a typical New Yorker, most of these superiors were pretty blatant about their responses to making sure that their employees had a certain amount of people arrested. At one point, they even went off on specific breakdowns like you need to have this many people stop for seatbelts or this many for brake lights I'm just like wow why is it even that big of a deal that you need to categorize how you stop people you know I took a couple things from that outside of just the anguish and fear it also made me wonder about areas like Tennessee like where you were where people aren't as vocal about these things you know New Yorker may say it outright you know what this is what it is but in Tennessee I feel like there's going to be a little bit more uh, political correctness in a response so I wonder if this ideal is still there even though it's just not going to be outright said it just made me think about that 
you know, for the country as a whole. Right. For the record, there is no quota. It's against the law to have a stat line or a quota to mm-hmm. uh, grade your uh, officers on. And I say that, uh, also to say this, you know, my supervisors never, you know, I've, I've, I've never had anything brought against me if I didn't bring in, you know, a certain amount of tickets or make a certain amount of rest. But there has been a talk with me if I, you know, don't bring in as many as arrest as, you know, that the department is used to. Uh, when I say talk, uh, they might just mention it like, hey, you know, maybe you want to be a little bit more visible, do a little bit more patrolling over here. You know, uh, you didn't have any tickets this time. You know, maybe you want to try this. You know, it's kind of like that. Un- they're saying it, but they're not saying it. You know, they're kind of sneaky with it because they don't want to get caught in the trip bag, of course. So you do have that kind of pressure, but like I said, I've, I know officers who who are just just actively policing, uh, not bringing in tickets or making arrests. Uh, like I said, I think a lot of important things about policing is you know making sure that you understand that your number one priority is to answer calls from the citizens and to be a peacemaker. You know, you're a peacemaker. You're here to keep everyone safe. You know, and make sure that you know they're the area that you work, you know, they're able to do their daily activities, go to work without having to worry about crime or anything like that. So getting to know the people in your community and your neighborhood is very important. Uh, that's where that community policing comes in um, because, you know, the more people you know, the more engaged you are with the citizens and the people at the different locations where you stop and you that work there, you know, the better and more pleasant it's going to be, uh, I think, for the, the for the community. Writing tickets and um, making arrests, I mean, is needed. I'm not saying that that's not needed. I'm just saying that, you know, there are other effective ways of policing to where you don't have to write tickets all day. You know, yeah. just be that that thorn, you know. I pull over people, you know, I might pull over somebody, make a traffic stop, and they, you know, they're mad because they're getting a ticket, and, you know, they mention that quota. Hey, you just, you know, doing this because of the quota. You got to meet a quota. And I just laugh because it's, it's, I mean, I don't know how else to say it, but there, you know, no one's making me, you know, write you a ticket, but, you know, but me, it's up to my discretion. It's off of the discretion. Do you feel like, uh, do you feel that feeling when you get pulled over? Like the officer is just trying to write you a ticket real quick, uh, or just to, just to make a, get a stat. Uh, have you, have you ever felt like that? Well, you know, I honestly, it's very interesting that you asked me that because this past weekend, like I just got a ticket, right. <laughs> and you know, if I'm speeding, I'm speeding. Like I, I can be mad. I can be frustrated. I might even say something out of frustration, like the quote, but you know, I still believe that you should have a responsibility to your actions. So even if he's trying to meet a quota, he couldn't have made it if I wouldn't speak. You know, I remember uh, this weekend I was on my way to work. It was yesterday. And I was a guy next to me in a pickup truck, truck driving erratic as hell. And I'm watching him because I'm nervous. I just want to get by him. But there's a car in front of me. I can't get by him. And I'm just trying to stay at a distance away from him, even though he's next to me. And he's just swerving all over his lane. And part of me is wondering, like, is this dude drunk? Like, what's the issue? You know? Right, right. Now, so I also mentioned at this exact same time, I am on the phone call. I'm on the phone call with my mom. Okay. I got on speakerphone, and I'm complaining about it, but I'm on my way to work. I'm thinking I'll stop by somewhere nearby and get some food first. And as we're approaching a red light, I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to try to either blow past this dude or let him go by, but either way, I don't want to keep being next to this dude because he's, something's off. 
I looked behind me. I should have noticed sooner, but I was more attentive to the guy next to me. I saw a cop looking at my license, looking at what looked like his you know, screen on his dashboard, at my license, at the screen. So I'm like, wait, I think this guy's running my license. And then you said that to my mom. I'm like, I think somebody's running my license. She's like, is it a cop? I'm like, yeah, I mean, who else run my license? <laughs> and sure enough, as soon as the light went green, he put on his license and pulled me over. So he walks up to me and says, you know, this is a Halloween weekend. So we're on extra high alert for erratic driving. Which I'm like, dude, next to me was driving erratic as hell. <laughs> He's like, you weren't driving erratic. I'm like, I know I wasn't. He's like, you were wearing your seatbelt. It's like, yeah, yeah, I was. So why did you pull me over? He's like, I pulled you over because you had your phone in your hand. I'm like, um, I know Illinois law, you can't have your headset to your head. But clearly I'm on speaker because you don't see me you know, holding it to my ear. I could have just said it on my dashboard. Like, that would have been easier. But, again, I thought the law was you just couldn't have your head, your phone to your ear. He's like, no, no, it can't even be on speaker. You can't even have it in your hand. It's like, oh. Okay, I didn't know that law. Like, I just, again, thought you could either have on the headset or have it on speaker. He's like, no, it can't be in your hand at all, and I got a ticket for that. And in my mind, I'm thinking, like, why did I get a ticket, even though the only reason I missed him behind me was because I was looking at the car next to me the whole time that I was driving erratic. But the other car wasn't a black person. And so you try not to have your mind automatically jump to ideals like that. But, as you can imagine, that's the first thing that happens. You know, it's like, you, the first thing you say to me is you're trying to make sure people aren't driving drunk. And I was asking my same, I was asking myself the same question. Like, is this dude next to me drunk? Like, why is he swerving? Well, for, I've never written anyone a ticket for hands-free. I think that's, uh, I have to look that law up. I think that's what it's called, hands-free. I don't think Tennessee has that hands-free uh, policy. Uh, Tennessee doesn't have that law. We like to write a ticket for a fair to, you know, devote full attention to the road. But I don't think that that goes along with having your cell phone in your hand. That's for like if you're viewing a monitor or something in your car. So a lot of officers do that in Tennessee. They'll try to write you a ticket for that. But really, it's we don't have a hands-free law. I don't think so. I know <laughs> Illinois does. Illinois though. Law because it yeah. wasn't even here when I first got here. I remember when it first got incorporated. Yeah. They were like, your phone needs to either be on speaker or you need to have a headset in your ears. So he and ironically, I've also been pulled over for having a headset in my ear, and I'm like, this is the Illinois law. Like, you're supposed to have a headset in your ear, which is a whole different argument, because I feel like that can obstruct you from hearing things around you, but that's mm-hmm. a whole other argument. Well, I guess I can say, I'm um, you're probably just trying to get a quick ticket, get out of there, so I get you, I get you. And, you know, those type of stops lead to unnecessary things to me. Because, you know, you, you're filled with a lot of emotion. You might meet someone who is not as calm as you, you know, who just doesn't want to take the ticket. But I get what you're saying. That documentary um, mentioned from 2007 to 2015, I think. What was it? They issued 900. What was it? 900,000? 900,000 900, summons, right. So they, YPD issued 900,000 summons. And they were dismissed, man. That's a lot of summons uh, in between that time frame to be dismissed. Uh, so that just goes to probable cause, you know, officers not having probable cause to, you know, make these arrests and do certain things. I, I try to make sure that, you know, whenever I make an arrest, it's, it's, 
I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and it's written correctly. Um, I don't have the mindset of locking anyone up just for my own satisfaction. I, it's crazy that the, you know, the world and everybody, how they think about police are like, I mean, it's baffling to me. Like I, I really, I could never even fix myself to take somebody to jail that didn't deserve to go. Like, that's just me. I mean, I, I know I am only one officer, one person, but that's just me. How, how do you feel? Um, 900,000 summons. I mean, I mean, I would say that for me, it's a unique position because my best friend, you, my best friend's a cop. And I've always thought you were a good human being. Like, you know, you have a, I would say an impeccable morale when it comes to dealing with people. You know, a lot of times I would even say better than myself, being honest. But on the flip side, then you watch a documentary like the one, you know, we watched. And just the different scenarios that were happening. Like there was the one guy that got arrested. um, And he even said, like, I didn't point a, a finger at somebody specific saying, like, that's who shot me. And then they had a witness who said, that's not who shot him. But the kid that everybody was saying wasn't who did it still got arrested. And then they looked at the police officer, and he had three times the amount of people you know, arrested. And the guy that he arrested for this particular shooting, he arrested like six or seven times. So it seems like his mind was already made up. Like, this is what I'm going to say. Just because he was there, like, you, you shot him. And it just makes me wonder, like, how many times does that happen? Uh, that happens this is a, all the time. Yeah, like, <laughs> it happens all the time. I can tell you that right now. Yeah. But that's depressing and scary. Like, I look yeah. at Joe, Joe, the whole idea behind it is it's supposed to be a reform. I'm not saying it's going to work perfectly ever, but how can you give someone a second chance if once they get out, not only are they not going to easily get a job, because most people don't want someone with any type of felony, but police officers are looking for you if you just on the street so that they can meet certain numbers that technically are legal. Like they are breaking, even if it's minor, you know, from the documentary, it was ironic watching police officers break this law so that they can be more comfortable. Say if I make an arrest, right? And yeah. I take the person to jail, he or she, and the case gets dropped. Do you think like, how um, crazy would it be if, like, the officer was held accountable for that? Like, all right, you got one strike. You, you, you didn't have probable cause to lock this person up. So, you know, a lot of my friends, they talk about, like, officers should have, like, these consequences, these consequences, these consequences. And, you know, all I can say to that is, you know, I've made mistakes on the job. I mean, I have, but I haven't made the type of mistakes to where my cases are getting dropped. Yeah. 900,000 summons, you know, like that's a, like I said, that's a lot of cases. So maybe it needs to be some type of man system. You know, my, my whole thing for my whole podcast is to just come up with solutions, man. Solutions to help, you know, better the relationship between officers and citizens. So how crazy would it, would it you think it would sound crazy for an officer to be held accountable for a false arrest? You know, I think that police officers, no matter what standard we hold them up to, ultimately are still human beings. Yeah. And with that said, you're not going to be perfect. And I, even if it's not fair or comfortable, I understand that ideal. However, you know, the flip side to that is there does need to be a reason 
right? A common sense reason that a seven-year-old can't point at and be like, that doesn't make sense. Like, why is he going to jail? You know, if, yeah. if the whole ideal of policing is to protect and serve, you know, protect and serve, then you, who are you serving when you are just arresting people who haven't done anything? Well, they like to think that, you know, taking criminals off the streets make the streets safer, of course. You know, you want we want to make the streets as safe as possible. So I, um, I wholeheartedly agree with that ideal. But if you are taking people off the streets who didn't commit the crime. Right. How safe are you really, making it? Yeah. You facilitate more crime because yeah. the person that did is still out there and they're chilling and nobody's looking for them because they think they might have somebody who did it who didn't. Well, and then you got... You know, this person has been in the system and then he comes out and now he doesn't have any money because he has to pay all these fines. Mm-hmm. And then what is he going to do for money? Right. You know, yeah. it's it, it's just like a revolving circle that, that needs to be fixed. I don't have all the answers, but I feel like, you know, that's that's where we need to start. You know, people always say, you know, what, what should we do? Well, this is a starting point. We got to first start with, you know. Making sure we're making uh, accurate and you know good arrests. So that was just my thing. Um, these twelve NYPD officers were um, uh, they sued and I mean they sued the department. I don't know the out case of the uh, you know the outcome of it, but they sued the department NYPD. NYPD they had video, they had uh, recordings of their supervisors, you know, telling them what they had to do, how many arrests they had to make. And yeah. it's, it's just crazy, man. We, I can honestly say, you know, from my standpoint where I am, eight years on the department, I've never seen anything like that. So that's, I guess that's a good thing for the citizens of Memphis, whoever's listening. I mean, that that doesn't happen here. Well, you know, not, at least not to my knowledge. So not not as out, out open as it was with that, with that documentary. It, it's not in the open like that, so. I don't know what happens behind the closed doors, but it doesn't. That that that's never come. It has never come to that point with me as an officer. So I would like to hear, man. You know, people's opinions on where should we start, man? How can we how can we stop these nine hundred thousand summons from being? Uh, what can we do about that? Like, what can we do about these nine hundred thousand summons? How can we stop so many arrests that are being uh, dismissed and they didn't have to pay? I mean, it's just that's just ridiculous, man. Yeah, it is ridiculous. I would say. There's all this documentation that has to happen with your police officer. Yep, a lot of paperwork. A whole lot. I've heard that. I'm not a cop, but I've heard that. And so you have to do all this documentation. Part of me wonders, like, what are you saying when you arrest these people? Because now cops are even having to wear body cameras. So I can visually see the things that are happening as well as your sentiments of what happened. Body cameras do work. I just jump right in and answer that. Like I know, but you know, I mean, that's that's the part of a crooked cop, right? You know, yeah. you got body cameras, but I mean, he got a right to report. He can put in with the report what he want. So I mean, this I can arrest you. I can, I can easily make it look good. You know, arresting you, getting you to the jail. My day's over. After that, he don't have to see the person again. The judge handles that. The court handles that. So I mean, getting you to the jail is. It's sad to say it's, it's, it's fairly easy. I can make, I can type up anything. I, I would like to think that police officers aren't doing that, but I mean, I guess it's obvious in NYPD with 900,000 summons being dismissed. I mean, if it's happening that much, my next thing would be to start questioning these cops 
in their decision making process. You right. know, like if this is happening to this this statistic this high statistically, then clearly you might not make the best decisions. We need to talk about that in terms of what you consider uh, criminal activity. Right. I got you. Yeah, I guess the decision making and everything. I really want to see what happens with this lawsuit. I'm going to follow up with it in a future episode and see what's going on. Well, like I said, I want to hear from the listeners, man. What, what can we do about these summons, man? These summons being dismissed, what do you think officers should uh, be doing? How can they make better arrests? And we'll go from there, man. I want to um, take the time to move on to uh, sports. I'm always going to talk a little sports on my podcast, man. That's just the guy in me. I'm sorry. Female <laughs> listeners, you gotta you gotta endure the end of the podcast. We're gonna talk just a little bit. This last five minutes about uh, the new and improved Lakers, man. I mean, you know, LeBron has definitely brought a a big thing as talents to uh, LA. It's a big thing, man. We feel like we we're back, uh, even though uh, we're so far away. In my opinion, <laughs> but, oh, yeah, we're definitely far away. <laughs> uh, how do you feel, man? How do you feel about the new addition of LeBron? Let's just start there. Well, you know, as a lifelong Lakers fan the, I, the, the addition of LeBron excites the hell out of me just because you're looking at a guy who has went to the grade finals joining the team that hadn't been to the playoffs in five years <laughs> <laughs> so with no new additions to me I mean you know usually he comes with a team he bringing two or three folks yeah. you know first year you know well this year he, you know he kept the core you know we added a few pieces but nothing to, to where we you know it makes us dominant so I like to see how uh, LeBron uh, handles all this pressure, man. He's in the West, so I want to see how he handles his pressure with his new team, his new young team. It's the he start. said all the right things, you know. Right. I know he said it yeah. the other day that this is a process and not going to be like instant opening, which he's absolutely right. Yeah, it sounds <laughs> good. Yeah, yeah, it sounds good until you keep losing and you get a little frustrated. But looking at the roster we have. I would say my biggest concern is that, you know, there's a lot of very dominant young players, or very talented young players, I shouldn't say dominant yet, who look at LeBron and they're, they're kind of awestruck. But I think for us to be our best selves, they need to be his teammates and not just awestruck by him. You know, like, right. I feel like Cleveland got better when, you know, Kyrie didn't just look at LeBron like, oh my God, you know, this is LeBron. Yeah. You know, Kyrie would go at and LeBron, I don't know if Ingram has that in. Right, let's let's compliment LeBron instead of you know sitting around watching them. You know, yeah, exactly. Let's, let's play our role and you know get to playing good Laker basketball instead of watching this superstar put on the show. And I understand that. I think that was the reason for the veteran move, like Rondo, and yeah, I think that was one of the reasons. Um, as I watch them play, they're they're sitting two and four, I want to say. Yeah, they're two and four. They're fourth in the Pacific Division. So it'll be interesting with Rondo coming back from the suspension. And Ingram will be back here the next game. It'll be interesting to see how how they play after this early season uh, squirrel between that's Houston uh, and Chris Paul. I want to see how LeBron handles, you know, uh, getting these people to uh, play to their, their potential. Because it's going to be very key uh, that we not lose this many games in a row. We lost three games in a row. We can't lose well, multiple games one, in a row. I was going to say one now. We lost one game in a row. Well, yeah, yeah, we won that two games. Yeah, but two, so I guess to start the season, we lost three, one, two, lost one. 
it's gonna be real <laughs> pivotal to see how um how we get wins because the games are close. I guess they lost to the Spurs yesterday, one hundred six to one ten. They got those two wins. Then we lost one forty two to one forty three to the Spurs. 124 to 115 of Rockets, 119 to 120. I mean, the games are not like, you know, we're never in the game. So Ingram is going to have to uh, step up quickly. Um, I don't think they're going to wait on him. I really think somebody's going to get dealt here trade deadline. It sounds crazy, but one of these youngsters, I feel, is going to get dealt before trade deadline, before the trade deadline. I think that Ingram, like, hearing what people talk about him in practice, in which we can't see, and how dominant he is, you know, I think that he has all the talent in the world. Right. I just think it's very easy to forget that there's a 12-year age difference between LeBron and Ingram. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, this is me just speaking as an ideal. The best thing that the Lakers could do right now is, in practice, make those two go against each other. Like, when yeah. Scottie Pippen first came into the league, in practice, him and Jordan won on teams. They used to have to go at each other. Right. And I shouldn't say go at each other. It would basically be just Jordan dominating Pippen. Right. <laughs> Man, you know, crazy. Pippen has to unsuccessfully try to guard Michael Jordan. I'm not going to say that's what made him a defensive superstar, but I would say, you know, trying to constantly defend him is going to make everybody else seem a lot easier. Right. It's going to make him better, a better defender, of course. Exactly. Man, so how, how I, old are we? Talking about Scotty Pippen defending, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm showing my age right now, but. <laughs> no, nah, man, it's, it's crazy. I still like to I, think I'm young, but I definitely don't feel young. <laughs> no, dude, we getting up there. I think that Lakers have a very interesting and eclectic mix of young and old. Yeah. And they should utilize it in practice. Like, have a starting lineup of maybe Rondo. Lance Stevenson, LeBron, Michael Beasley, Terrell McGee versus Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Ingram, Kuzma, and Zubas. I'll give you an interesting thing that I realized after talking to, to one of my good friends, Curtis, about the Lakers. Um, The Lakers, they're trying to run the ball, right? They're trying to pick up the pace. Yeah. I don't think Rondo's playing like that, though. Like, I feel like Rondo... <laughs> And Ingram shouldn't be on the floor at the same time. And I say that because when Rondo comes down, he's trying to set something up. You know, he's looking for the best pass. You know, he's taking his time. And, you know, Ingram is just ready to go. You know, he's trying to get the ball and go. He can dribble. He can dribble. He can handle the rock. So he's trying to get the ball and go while Rondo is trying to do this. It's kind of like they're not meshing well together. So I think uh, if Luke Walton just shakes up the lineups a little bit, I'll, I think that that we'll see an improvement in itself right there. Uh, I think you should bring Rondo off the bench. Just bring Rondo off the bench. Go ahead and let Lonzo play and uh, bring, bring, bring him off the bench. Lonzo and Ingram play well together. So a lot of people don't realize. They played all year last mm-hmm. year together. So. You know, they probably said that uh, yeah. Ball was hurt. Yeah, okay. So that's a good. That's good. That's what needs to happen. Ball needs to start. I need to bring Rondo off the bench. We bring Rondo off the bench with KCP and some of those other guys. That's a nice bench because, you know, Stevenson, he he ready to go. So I like that. I like that. Yeah, they're ready to dunk on somebody and blow in your ear. He ready. <laughs> blow in your ear, man. <laughs> well, you heard it here first, man. Two two huge Laker fans, man. I'm a, I'm a Laker fan as well, even though I'm from Chicago. Uh, don't ask me why I'm a Laker fan. I just am. <laughs> But um, I'm going I'm to wrap it up here, man. I, I appreciate you 
again, man, it's a pleasure having you here on this episode here. And, hey, um, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, that's going to do it for me. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Google Play. That's LB in the basement. You also can find us on that good old social media platform, Instagram. Instagram tag will be LB901Talk. LB901Talk. Also hit us up on Twitter, LB901Talk as well. And businesses, don't forget, you can get free promotion. Free promotion is easy, man. All you got to do is like and subscribe to the podcast. Uh, listen to the podcast, and I promote your businesses, your uh, close local businesses, uh, black-owned business. I'll, I'll get your promotion out there the best way I can. And uh, I guess I'll see you guys on the next episode, man. Appreciate all my followers and all my listeners, man. See you soon.